So please do uh, have your Bible open uh, and we'll read along together. Mark chapter 10, starting reading at verse 32. This is God's word. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was going before them and they were amazed and as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that those those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Amen. We thank God for his truth. We were just saying uh, that this is a significant year for the Queen. I wonder if anybody here has ever met the Queen. I got very close. Uh, I I, um, was in the Scouts growing up. I did my Queen Scout Award. I went over to Windsor 
uh, to receive that award. Um, but I got put in the wrong line. Uh, I got to meet the Duke of Edinburgh instead. And the Queen went down the front line and I, and I met the Duke of Edinburgh in the, in the rear line. But uh, still, it was, it was wonderful to be there. I wonder if any of you have ever met the Queen. If you have met the Queen, what did you say to her? What do you say to the Queen? What would you ever say if you did get the chance to meet her? I want you to imagine that you are meeting the Queen and instead of you saying something to her, the Queen asks you a question. She says, is there anything I can do for you? Imagine that. What would you respond to that? Is there anything I can do for you? Many of us have have maybe been in a some sort of similar situation to that, maybe with a, a local politician, and they're canvassing for votes, and you're going to get a, a quite a bit of this over the next couple of months. And he or she says, "What do you need? What do you want me to do for you? What would it take to get your vote? What do you want me to do for you?" I wonder how we would respond to that question. In our passage today, we have something similar going on. Mark chapter 10. Do you have your Bibles open there at Mark chapter 10? There are two groups of people in our passage. Two people. And what they realise is that Jesus is the King. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Son of David. They understand what our psalm today has taught us. They understand what we've just talked about with the boys and girls, that Jesus is the king. He has come to reign on the throne of David for a lot longer than 70 years, forever and ever. And to both these people, Jesus asks a question. You can see it in verse 36 and in verse 51. I wonder if you noticed that that question was repeated. Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? I think there's something for each of us in this passage today. You will remember the section of Mark that we're in. Jesus has been revealed to be the king, to be the Messiah. And so now he's teaching the 12 disciples what it means to be a follower of the Messiah. You saw he took the 12 disciples aside. One commentator said about this passage, it's almost like we're on a course. We're, we're learning in a course with Jesus what it means to be his followers. There are different lessons that Jesus wants to teach us. But one of the things that's really important, really important in the Jesus school, is your heart. What does your heart desire? At some point, as a disciple of Jesus, we need to learn about the things that our hearts desire. What they do desire and what they should desire. And what a better way to expose the desires of your heart than for the king of the universe, the Lord of all creation, maker of heaven and earth, to say to us today, what do you want me to do for you? That's the question that Jesus is asking you today. What do you want Jesus to do for you? I wonder how you personally might respond to that. Well, like I say, there's two groups in our passage. We're going to 
look at each one of them in turn and, and learn from them. We first have James and John, and then we have blind Bartimaeus. We're going to look at, at not just how they respond to Jesus's question, but what it is that Jesus offers them. So we'll begin with James and John. They approach Jesus first, actually, and you can see what they say in verse 35. They have a request. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, parents, you might have heard that sort of question before. Boys and girls, maybe you've asked it. Maybe you go to your mum and you say, I have something to ask you and I want you to say yes. Before you've even made the, the request, before you've even asked the question, I want you to say yes. That's what James and John are doing. Come to Jesus. Jesus, we are your closest and most trusted disciples. We were on the mountain with you. Remember the mountain of transfiguration? We're your best friends, Jesus. We have something to ask you and we want you to say yes. Well, Jesus is ever gracious. He humors them. He asks them that question. What do you want me to do for you? And you can look at what they say in verse 37. Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Now, when we hear that request, we might react like the rest of the disciples did. They were greatly displeased with James and John. But isn't it possible that they were displeased or annoyed because they didn't ask the question first? Peter probably felt that way. He was in that inner circle too. Maybe the other disciples felt jealous that they weren't in that inner circle and they're not in the position to make such a wild request of Jesus. And so there are reasons we could be annoyed with James and John. But I'm not so sure we can be surprised. Think about what they're asking. It's, it's kind of central to human nature. Fallen human nature, at least. To make a request of Jesus that focuses not on Jesus, but focuses on themselves. James and John are, re- are already in the 12. And in fact, within the 12, they're already within a, a closer group of three. But they want to be even closer. They want to be closer to the power that Jesus has. They're asking for thrones. Grant that we would sit on your right, on your left, that they want the power that comes from being close to Jesus. They're really only asking out of self-interest. If we have a, a look at the context of the passage that we're in, they, the disciples and Jesus are on the road going up to Jerusalem. That's what verse 32 tells us. So this is the time the disciples have been waiting for. This is go time. Jesus is not going to Jerusalem on a whim. He's he's not going to see the sights. This is the Messiah leading the way. See how Jesus is going before the people? The king leading his troops to the capital city to claim his rightful place on the throne of David. Mark tells us there's a mixture of fear and amazement in those who are following along. So far in Mark's gospel, we've seen Jesus has made quite a few enemies. And those groups that hate Jesus, well, most of them are in Jerusalem. 
But that's where he's headed. That's where he's going. He's leading his people. And he's going to face the enemies. And so the disciples are, they're ready. They're going for a fight. It's no wonder they were both amazed and afraid. James and John, for them, it's the opportunity they've been waiting for. This is our time. We're going to take back the kingdom. Maybe when we're victorious, we could sit alongside Jesus when he takes his throne. If you were James and John, might you not ask the same thing? In Matthew's gospel of this story, he tells us something that Mark doesn't. In the section just before this, after the rich young ruler, Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 19, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So the fact that James and John are now asking to sit on the thrones at the right and left of Jesus, in a way it shows a level of faith. It shows trust in Jesus and in his promises. Now we can see that it was a foolish request because we know what Jesus says next. James and John had misinterpreted, they'd misunderstood Jesus. It's as if they're saying to Jesus, can we have the good bits? We want all those good things you're promising us without any of the bad things. They've heard Jesus say time and time and time again, he is going to suffer and die. And their thought process, it's, listen, Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about with all this suffering and death. But did you say there were going to be thrones? We're interested in the thrones. Can we get the one closest to you? In our passage today, in the first section, Jesus predicts his death. So the disciples are under no illusion. This is about as full a description of what we get in Mark's gospel of Jesus' death. Jesus predicts it so accurately. Verse 33, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. The son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him and to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, well, they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. All those things happened. And the third day, he will rise again. It's so precise. It's exactly what comes to pass. Jesus knows what he's headed for. And he tells the disciples plainly. But they still don't really hear him. They hear what are the good parts and they ignore the negative parts. They're with Jesus. They know that he is the Messiah, but they don't really see what that means. They can't see Jesus for who he really is. I wonder if we're ever guilty of that. It's possible. It's possible that, that we can be here in church. We can seek to serve Jesus, but it's only for what we can get out of it. We wouldn't be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. We do it because it makes us feel good. 
Do any of us follow Jesus simply for what we can get out of it? There is a German theologian called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You might have heard of Bonhoeffer. He wrote a, a, a very good book about discipleship. And in that book, he contrasts what he calls cheap grace with costly grace. Listen to what he says. Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without repentance. It is baptism without the discipline of community. It's the Lord's Supper without confession of sin. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without the living incarnate Jesus Christ. Costly grace is the hidden treasure in a field for the sake of which people go and sell everything they have. It's the costly pearl whose price the merchant sells for, the, for whose price the merchant sells all he has. It is Christ's sovereignty for the sake of which you tear out an eye if it causes you to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ which causes a disciple to leave his nets and follow him. Following Jesus has a cost. He's going to Jerusalem and he is going to take his rightful place on the throne of David. But his route to that throne has to go through the cross. He has to go through death. He must be betrayed. He must be handed over to the Gentiles, mocked and spit on and flogged and killed. James and John didn't really understand. They, they wanted the glory of the throne, but they didn't understand they would have to first go through the cross. Their hearts were bent in on themselves, just like ours, just like the rest of us. Time and time again, Jesus tells them, I am going to die. That's why we're going to Jerusalem. But they only hear what they want to hear. They miss the point. Now, this seems like odd behavior. How can they hear this from Jesus over and over again, and yet they still miss the point? Friends, I have to say there are people here today, and you might be one of them, and you've heard the message of the gospel over and over and over again. But you're only interested in cheap grace. You haven't responded in faith and repentance. You haven't left this world behind. You still can't see Jesus for who he is. After James and John make their request, Jesus responds and his response can be summarized by saying, there are two categories of people in the world. There are those who only look after themselves, whose hearts are bent in on themselves. And there are those who truly and purely give their lives for the sake of others. The thing is that this second category has a population of one. Only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus purely and truly gives his life for the good of others. Jesus said to them, to James and John, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. The cup that Jesus talks about is an allusion to Old Testament references of the cup of the wrath of God. A 
cup which Jesus himself would drink to the bottom. He takes the wrath of God upon himself against the sinfulness of all his people. See, friends, Jesus did die. He suffered physically. He was beaten and mocked and spit on. He was flogged and killed. But there's something else going on in Jesus' death. It makes it different from any other such death. Because Jesus' death wasn't just physical torture. He takes on the mental and spiritual torture of the wrath of God against ungodliness. James and John could die. They could die the same death that Jesus died physically, but they couldn't take the wrath of God. They couldn't drink that cup. None of us can. No one but Jesus can. There are two types of people in this world. Jesus and everybody else. Only he could face the wrath of God. And so the disciples, still in the darkness of their misunderstanding, well, they say, yes, we can. We can do that. They're so foolish. Jesus says, grace is costly. He says, you've got to go through the cross before you enter the glory. You will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism that I am baptized with, you will be baptized. James and John would have to suffer. They would have to suffer in their lives, but they have now entered glory. We can so often be like James and John. We hear Jesus say, what do you want me to do for you? And we think, brilliant, finally, I'm going to get what I want. But Jesus is teaching us today about our desire. He's saying you shouldn't put yourself first. He's saying you should serve others. Look out for their good. Look out for people in our fellowship here in Kings Mills who need help. Serve the children and young people. Serve the elderly and housebound. Look out for them. Keep your eyes open for people who need your help and do things for their good. If you find your heart desiring to be first, then go out and serve others. Look, our time's moving on. We should move on to blind Bartimaeus. Verse 46. Bartimaeus is physically blind, unlike the disciples. But he sees who Jesus is, unlike the disciples. He understands much more about the nature of Jesus as Messiah than the disciples seem to at this point. At the beginning of this section, Bartimaeus is described as really helpful, helpless to us. He, he's not only blind, something I can't imagine, but he's also a beggar. He's begging at the side of the road. He, he has no support from family or friends. He's helpless. But along comes Jesus. And he knows that Jesus can help him. And so when he hears that this man is going to be passing by, he makes the effort. He shouts out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Just like the disciples did with the little children, some people try to keep Bartimaeus quiet. Don't shout out to Jesus. You're a blind beggar. You're not worthy of Jesus' time. But that only makes Bartimaeus shout out all the more. And what happens with Bartimaeus is a beautiful picture of conversion for us. So if you're not a Christian today, this is what being a Christian means. 
This is what it looks like to come into the kingdom of God. First, Jesus calls him. And we've seen Jesus call many people in Mark's gospel, but not all of them respond like this man. Verse 50, throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Maybe a wee bit of context will help our understanding. This garment, this cloak, it's probably the only thing that he had in the whole world. It would keep him warm. But he also would use it to spread out on the ground as he begged. And it was this garment that people would throw money or food into. And at the end of the day, he could wrap it up and take it with him. It's not an insignificant detail that he left it behind. He threw it aside. This man is leaving everything for the sake of Christ. He's throwing his garment away and that's symbolic. He's willing to do what the rich young ruler was not willing to do. This blind beggar is giving up everything to follow Jesus. He leaves the world behind and he enters the kingdom. He's no longer on the outside. He's on the inside. At this point, at this point, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus' request is for something so simple and basic that I can't imagine having to ask for this. Not many of us here can imagine this. The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. So basic. James and John were out for themselves. They wanted thrones and they wanted power. This man made a humble request that he would be given his sight. As I've said, how interesting is it that this man actually has spiritual sight that the disciples weren't able to use at this point. Before he could see with his eyes, he saw by faith that Jesus is the Messiah. And he knew that he could have life in Christ. At the end of our passage, as we come to the end, we read that Jesus told him to go his way. But Bartimaeus didn't go off running the streets of Jericho, showing people, I can see, I can see. No, his way, his new way, is the Jesus way. See verse 52? He received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Where was Bartimaeus' heart? What was his desire? His heart was drawn to Jesus. No matter what, he wanted to be with Jesus And his actions speak louder than his words. What does he want Jesus to do for him? Well, he realizes that what he needs is the life that comes only from being with Jesus. And so he follows him on the road. Jesus asks both James and John and Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Friends, he's asking you today, What do you want Jesus to do for you? The way we answer that question says a lot about who we believe Jesus is. It says a lot about the desires of our hearts. Not everyone will receive physical sight like Bartimaeus. But if we trust in Christ, we will receive spiritual sight. We will receive faith to believe and follow him we will be able to give up the things of this world, be that power or possessions, and we will know the answer to Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you? 
is best answered by Jesus himself. He doesn't always give us what we want, but he always gives us what we need. Verse 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There's an American pastor, uh, Dr. Rayburn, who says this about verse 45. He says the entire Bible is summed up in this single verse. The Lord willingly laid down his life as a ransom to deliver his people from bondage. Everything else is either a presupposition of or the implication of that fact. The whole Bible summed up in one verse. And so as you think over the question today, what do you want from Jesus? It's my prayer that you will have the eyes of faith that Bartimaeus had. And that you will know that being with Jesus is all we ever need. In Jesus, we have the King of glory. Why would we want anything else? Last year, we bought some books for the young people in our congregations on Mark's gospel. Uh, It's called The the Best News Ever. I find it really useful, actually, in summarising what these passages are all about. Listen to what it says about Bartimaeus. This is the last thing I'll say. He says, this is what real faith looks like. Being convinced by the evidence that Jesus really is the king. Leaving behind whatever else you've been counting on and trusting Jesus is better. Admitting your helplessness. Asking for God's mercy and getting it. Then following Jesus. That's conversion. That's what it means to come to Christ. It's my prayer that any here who are like James and John who just want Jesus to give them power that we'll learn the lesson of Bartimaeus being with Jesus is all we could ever need and Jesus has made it possible for us to be with him because he laid down his life because he drank the cup of God's wrath on our behalf He did it for us. Let me pray for us.